Welcome to Attorney Heart, the podcast focused on bringing awareness to and promoting attorney well-being. Join Attorney Heart as you embark on a journey to improve the quality of your professional and personal life. And now, here's your host, Fernando Flores. Looking up, there's always sky. Rest your head, I'll take you high. We won't fade into darkness. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Attorney Heart. This is your host, Fernando Flores. And today, I am really excited to bring our next guest, Public Defender Jeff Adachi, the Public Defender of the City and County of San Francisco. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being on. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. I know you run a very busy schedule, so uh, I wanna I wanna start out like I typically do. You know, I want to learn a little bit about your background and uh, if you could tell our listeners, uh, you know, why why did you decide to become an attorney, and in particular. You know, why, why did you decide to become a public defender? So if you can get into uh, a little bit about that, that'd be great. Well, I grew up in Sacramento. You know, my dad's an auto mechanic and my mom was a lab technician. I'm a fourth generation Japanese American. And we grew up in a lower middle class neighborhood. Um, I wasn't even planning to go to college, to be real honest with you, until I think it was probably my senior year in, in high school. I remember all the other kids were going to a college day and I wasn't invited to go because I didn't have the grades and it wasn't automatic you know for for kids to go to college back then and they used to have a vocational track mm -hmm. and I remember my, my counselor told me you should go on a vocational track because you're not college material and I think that sparked wow. something in me that that said you know what I want to go to college but I had terrible grades and so I ended up going to City College and <clears throat> while at, at, at City College I took an Asian American studies class and then eventually transferred to Berkeley. It was easier to get in back then than it is now. And while I was at Berkeley, I got involved in a case of an innocent man who was on death row for a crime he didn't commit. He had actually been convicted in San Francisco uh, back in the, in the uh, 1970s. And he had been in prison for some time. And I had read about his case in the newspaper with a, my roommate and we, went up and talked to the reporter who wrote the story and he told us more about the case and suggested that we join the defense committee, which we did. And then uh, we joined this committee and for four years we were involved in trying to raise money uh, for his defense, trying to uh, talk to people about uh, what had happened to him. And mm -hmm. it was a fascinating case because it was a Chinatown gangland shooting and the police had basically railroaded uh, this guy's name was Cho Su Lee, uh, and he didn't do it. And so his conviction eventually was overturned on appeal, and uh, the case was retried in San Francisco nine years after he had been convicted. Wow. And uh, I was in court when he was found not guilty by a jury. So it was, it was quite an experience, and that really opened my eyes to the, the criminal injustice system and and a lot of the, you know, the issues that are involved, racism in the system, and really how this man, uh, you know, was, was railroaded by the police. And they had withheld evidence in his case. So I think it was that experience, plus my parents' experience of being interned during World War II. Both my grandparents and my parents were interned in concentration camps. They were uh, Jap Japanese Americans, you know. In fact, they had never even been to Japan, yet 
they were locked up for four years, uh, you know, without even a trial. And I didn't learn about that until I was in third grade, and because it wasn't taught in the schools. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, this one uh, kid and I, we got into a fight uh, because he said, oh, your parents were in jail. And I, I went home and asked my mom about it afterwards, and she said, yeah, that did happen to us. So, you know, that experience really uh, made me question the American justice system. And uh, as I learned more about that, I was outraged by that. And I started becoming more aware of what had happened to African-Americans and slaveries and Latinos and the Bracero program and exploitation of labor, of course, the Native American and annihilation right. of hundreds of millions, you know, of, of Native Americans. So it was really through that experience of awakening uh, that I decided, you know, I want to be a lawyer and I wanted to be a lawyer for the people. And so being a public defender, you know, was really a ready-made job for me. So I went directly into the public defender's office after law school. I went to law school here at Hastings. I knew I wanted to be a public defender. And I started working in this office right out of law school. And I've been here now 32 years. Wow. That's such a powerful story, Jeff. Um, yeah. And in that time, uh, I mean, you've done an incredible number of jury trials. You've done over 100 for, for sure, mm -hmm. right? And in the current times, I'm sure you've seen different ways that the public defender's office, the role that it plays. Mm -hmm. But in the current times, what do you see as being some of the most pressing issues that the public defender's office focuses on or uh, has really chosen to take a lead on for purposes yeah. of representing their, their clients? Our office is unique in amongst the, the 58 California counties because I'm elected. Right. So I run for office every four years, just like the mayor of San Francisco does. And, and you're the only elected only public elected defender in throughout Cal California. In California. Right? Now, there are other yeah. public defenders who are elected in Florida, right. uh, in Tennessee, and in some other states. But most public defenders are appointed. And I believe that having an elected public defender is better because it puts the public defender on the same political um, you know, power right. uh, as the district attorney. And all the district attorneys are elected. So uh, being elected allows me a much more freedom. Mm. One of the first things that I set out to do, which is a problem in almost every public defender's office, is that they have too many cases and too little staff. When you think of public defenders, you think about this lawyer who has you know, hundreds of cases, can't do a good job on his or her cases, and you know, is, 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 is sorely underpaid, so what can you expect for that? And that is true in yeah. a lot of places. And so when I became public defender, one of the things that I wanted to do is to make sure that all the lawyers had reasonable caseloads. So I started refusing cases, which was very controversial mm. because when they would try to cut our budget or they would not approve hiring positions, I would simply say, okay, we're not going to take those cases. It's going to go to private lawyers. It's going to cost two to three times as much. And it did. The first time we did that, it ended up costing the city millions more and then they, they funded us. Uh, the reason why public defender offices, I think, are the best way to deliver services, these type of services, is because we're built to do volume, mm -hmm. right? We can hi handle higher volume of cases because we're not doing the same things that you have to do to run a business. It is a business. It's the largest criminal defense law firm, 
but we engage in the pure practice of law. And so our attorneys can devote all their time to the cases, and as a result, they can handle more cases. But there's a limit to that. You can't have attorneys who are handling 100 cases. I mean, think about it. You can't even keep track of that many people. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you wouldn't want a doctor who's got 1,000 patients. Yeah. So in the time that I've been public defender, I've been the public defender for 16 years, I've really focused on that. So we now make sure that all the attorneys have a reasonable caseload. Just to give you an idea, we used to have one investigator for every 10 lawyers when I started. You know, again, which is crazy because wow. investigators yeah, are the yeah. ones that are out on the street, pounding the pavement, talking to witnesses. Today, we have one investigator for every three lawyers. Okay. And that's huge that's to have that support. We used to have one paralegal for the whole office. Now we have about 20 paralegals. We have about 20 social workers. We have support staff, clerical staff. I mean, everything that you would expect in a modern law firm. And so that's really, I think, been the one thing that I'm most proud of. Uh, we've also won top awards from the American Bar Association, from the National Legal Aid and Defender Associations. And to, to me, I mean, these are awards that are only given out to one organization every year. Um, it really represents that, you know, we've distinguished ourselves. When you're asking about what are the things public defenders can do, I really see public defenders as being guardians of the justice system, meaning that if we are properly funded to do our jobs and we do our jobs well, we can actually be a watchdog against government abuse, whether that's by prosecutors, by judges, by police. I mean, obviously, if the police violate the law or violate the Constitution, it's our job to make that objection in court and seek the proper remedy uh, for the client. That's you know, part of our, of our job as public defenders. We, in essence, protect the Bill of Rights, right? When this nation passed the Constitution, there was a lot of people who were worried about the amount of power that the government had, and so that's how they created the Bill of Rights. And in the Bill of Rights, you have things like the Fourth Amendment, right to be free of unreasonable search and seizure, the right to a lawyer, a right uh, not to be subject to cruel and unusual punishment. And so the rights and the extension of these rights are really what public defenders do uh, every day. Uh, but we've tried to go beyond that. I mean, we have uh, exposed police misconduct. There was a crime lab scandal some years ago where a technician in the crime lab was, uh, was stealing drugs from the crime lab. And Again, that resulted in drugs being overreported in some cases, underreported in terms of weight. And they weren't even testing some of the drugs. And as a result, uh, we got over a thousand cases dismissed and closed down the crime lab because nobody else mm -hmm. would do that. We also uh, exposed a scandal where police officers were breaking into people's rooms without a warrant. This was at the Henry Hotel. And our clients were telling us, hey, the police are breaking into our rooms, they're using illegal pass keys to get into our, our rooms. We sent an investigator down to the hotel and they have a very uh, sophisticated surveillance system, camera system. So we downloaded a year and a half worth of video, compared it to the police reports in all these cases and determined that police were lying. And as a result, seven police officers were indicted and most of them were convicted. Uh, so we've done a lot of things that you would think would be outside the role of the public defender. But I really see that as a core of what we do, that we protect the public against government abuse. That's why we're called the public defender. Yeah, uh, that's that's a, a very important work and also uh, 
it sounds like very challenging work, but you've definitely moved it to a place where the number of cases themselves doesn't necessarily become the main obstacle mm -hmm. in fighting for, for that justice. But let me ask you now, okay, in terms of the actual work itself, what do you find your public defenders find the most challenging? Mm -hmm. Is it the actual substance or is it, you know, uh, perceptions of the public defender? You know, what, what do you hear the most uh, in terms of being the, the toughest challenges? I think for, you know, most of the 104 attorneys in the office, you know, they all carry their own reasons for being public defenders. They have their own stories. But one thing that is common to all of us is that we love to fight. You know, we, you know, some people wake up and they have to have a cup of coffee. For us, I think it's knowing that there's injustice in the world and, you know, we're fighting against it, but we're fighting in a very structured way because we're representing a client. It's very concrete knowing what that client's interest is. The client wants to get free. The client wants to fight his or her case. It's our job to effectuate their, those rights. Right. And we, we can't judge the clients. It's not our role to look at, you know, a client and say, you know what, I think you're innocent or I think you're guilty. And I'm not going to work that hard on your case. We have to fight for, for everyone. And everyone who's accused of a crime guilty or not, deserves to have the system tested and that case fully investigated. The way that our system has been set up for over 200 years is that you as an accused, if you're accused, charged with any crime at all, you have the right to challenge that accusation. And they have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. It doesn't say that you have to prove your innocence beyond a reasonable doubt. It says that they have to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And if they can't, then you deserve to walk free. And we're the ones that effectuate, you know, that, um, that right. I mean, if you think about being in a country where you can just be taken from your home or taken off the street and locked away for three years or four years until you await your trial, it's like that in some places in the world. The reason why we don't have that is because we have a system uh, that demands that people have the right to contest whatever, whether it's a traffic ticket or what. Right. Unfortunately, the reality is in many places, the public defenders are so woefully underfunded that they're not able to do a good job. And that's why the rich people can get a good lawyer and pay for it, and a poor person can't. So that's something that we need to change, you know, in this country. And that's something that I've always been committed to. In fact, I probably traveled to about 20 states just in the last two to three years to talk with public defenders and really empower them uh, to fight for more resources. Currently now, only about five cents out of every dollar that's spent on law enforcement goes to public defense. So we've got a ways to go. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that statistic. Yeah. Um, Jeff, a little bit more uh, about you. Uh, considering the, the busy schedule that you maintain, the such large office that you oversee, you know, over a hundred attorneys, and I can't even imagine how much support staff, you know, you've added. Um, you know, what what do you do to try to maintain a sense of of uh, balance and wellness? You know, part of what I'm doing through this podcast and what I've been doing is just learning uh, strategies from each other. You know, um, I used to do trial work as well, and it's it's really intense and. You know, I know the public defender's office and the district attorney's office, you know, mm -hmm. you, your office is supposed to do trial work at a much 
much uh, higher level and much higher pace. So, you know, what what do you uh, what can you add on that? Well, yeah, I mean, you've done trial work, so you know the stakes, and that's yeah. really what what gets to you. Whether you're you're trying a misdemeanor case where the person could go to jail for six months to a year, or a, a death penalty case. I mean, there there are huge stakes in criminal cases. Yeah. It's not just money. Somebody can lose their freedom, and if you make a mistake or you're not prepared or you don't do what you need to be done in a case, your client's going to pay. And so that's something that you carry with you. And not to say that everybody is conscientious. I mean, this, I remember seeing lawyers who would just plead their clients out so they can go home early. And, uh, you know, thankfully that does not happen today in our office, but, you know, it happens in a lot of places. And the quality of your defense is directly tied to the skills and ability of your lawyers. So you have to bring your A game every day. I can't come to court and say, you know what? I'm not feeling great today, so you're not gonna get good representation. It's kind of like being a doctor. And that's why they call it a profession. And so we expect that from our lawyers. We expect them to be at their A game. What that means to, to us is that we have specific goals they have to meet. They have to you know, go to trial regularly, they have to file motions. We actually track all the work that they do. Mm. We look at the number of dismissals they get, the number of guilty pleas and felony cases and misdemeanor cases, because you will find differences in the outcomes that lawyers receive in cases. And we wanna make sure that it doesn't matter whether you get lawyer A or lawyer Z, you're gonna get top-notch representation. Now, do lawyers sometimes falter? Yeah, but it's our job to make sure that if they falter, we're there to catch them, and we make sure that doesn't cause harm to any client. You know, part of what we do here is we make sure we respond within 24 hours if we receive a complaint. Mm -hmm. We see the clients within 48 hours of their arrest. We even have now what's called a pretrial release unit, so we actually have two lawyers and an investigator who see the clients as soon as they're booked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that we've done, you know, which really, I think, we'd like to see implemented throughout the country. I mean, when I first started in this office, we had a $16 million budget. I mean, I'm sorry, $13 million budget. This was back in uh, 2003 when I first became public defender. Today, we have a $40 million budget. Wow. Now, some people might look at that and say, wow, geez, you know, <laughs> why are you spending so much money? It's because we really needed those resources in order to bring us to a place where we could do competent representation. And that way, you actually save a lot of money because you're not wrongfully incarcerating people. You're not getting sued years later for, you know, hiding evidence in a case. And you have a, a, a vigorous public defender office that you have confidence in, that if somebody is accused of a crime, you know that person is going to get good representation. But, you know, to go back to what people do to alleviate stress in this work, I mean, all different kinds of things. I mean... You know, we have yoga here in the office. I'm not a, a oh, really? yoga person, so I don't do that, but, right. but they do that. And I think everyone does their own thing. I mean, for me, I work out every morning. I'm at the gym from 5.30 to 6.30, just an hour. Wow. Yeah. That's my time, kind of get my head together, work out, and then come to work. And I think when I was early in my career, you know, I, I really felt the stress of the job. But since, I'd say probably about 15 years ago, you know, I, I really learned, you know, how uh, to manage it. Mm -hmm. And part of it is that, you know, you can't fix everyone's problem. 
in a day. You can try, um, but there's always tomorrow. Yeah. And so you just have to prioritize things and, and make sure that, you know, whatever you need to do, uh, and, and, you know, if it's an emergency, I deal with it right away. Mm. You know, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, this is something I got to deal with, I will deal with it right then. I don't put it off because then you have a bunch of stuff you got to deal with. And then I make sure that I'm always prepared because the worst thing in the world for a defense attorney is to walk into court being unprepared. That's very stressful if you haven't yeah. done your homework. Because you, no matter how good you are or how experienced you are, you could lose a case like anyone else. So I think what I've tried to do is, you know, to find out, you know, what it is I need to do to successfully carry out all the things, whether it's an administrative. Like one thing we, we recently did, we started an immigration unit in the office. So we have eight mm. full-time lawyers who are representing detained immigrants. These are immigrants who don't even have criminal cases oh, wow. in, the, in the federal immigration courts. And it was a long process to, to get this going. I mean, you know, we had to get the support of the community, support of the nonprofits, many that have been doing this work for many years. Uh, and they actually wanted us to take on the bulk of the cases. Are those mainly uh, the ones uh, that involve deportation defense? Yeah, okay. these are deportation. Yeah, I, heard, I heard about that. And also in Alameda, I think there were yeah, different Yeah, Alameda actually started their program before we did. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Taking on a project like that could be very stressful, but you have to look at it as, you know, something that if you use the right tools at the right time, you can achieve it. You can't get overwhelmed by looking at the whole thing like, oh, how am I going to get $3 million to pay for this? Instead, you think, okay, what's the next thing I have to do? Like, we're going to organize the nonprofits to support this. We got 90 nonprofits to support it. We're going to go to the board of supervisors and hold a hearing. We're going to plan a series of rallies. And I've always been a grassroots organizer. <clears throat> That's kind of where I come from. Mm -hmm. And so I've relied on that a lot as a tactic mm -hmm. in terms of getting, you know, what I believe uh, people need. Yeah. <clears throat> I think a lot of the, the strategies that you mentioned, uh, they, re they really resonate because I I love running and I've run mm. I've ran very long races. In oh the yeah. Past. Yeah. And like miles. Like yeah, lots yeah. of miles. Marathons. <laughs> yeah, marathons. I've done a couple of ultra mm. runs. And um, you know, how do you run those races? It's really one step at a time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that really right. seems to be the strategy that, that yeah, you're you can't look behind you, you can't <laughs> look up, you just gotta run. Just one step at a time. Mm. Yeah. And also uh, I think what really resonates I think, you know, the power of being prepared is mm. uh, I feel something that can reduce a lot of stress and reduce feelings of being overwhelmed because like you mentioned, mm -hmm. not only do you have cases that are very high stakes, if you go into that very high stakes case mm -hmm. unprepared, oh yeah, you're gonna feel stressed, you're gonna feel overwhelmed, you're gonna feel anxious. And it's kind of like a coin toss mm -hmm. in a case that you know shouldn't necessarily involve a coin toss. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's, that's definitely very, very powerful. Uh, yeah, you know, this job can be tough and you have to celebrate the victories. Just this afternoon, I took out uh, the legal team um, that worked on an appeal. Mm -hmm. I had a, a trial a couple years ago that I lost, and I thought I should have won it. And mm -hmm. my client ended up getting 83 years wow. uh, to life. And uh, it took me probably five or six months just to feel okay again because it was just wow. such a devastating loss. But even though I lost that trial, I talked to – the jurors afterwards to find out how they reached their decision. I think it's part of our duty because right. if there's any misconduct, we need to know about it. 
what just so happened when I was talking to the foreperson, one of my attorneys walked by and saw him and said, hey, I saw you talking to my client. I said, your client? He said, yeah, yeah, I represented him on a case. I said, really? So I looked back at his juror questionnaire, and then he said in there, under penalty of perjury, he'd never been in trouble before. Well, it turned out he lied. And so we were able to use that and because it's jury misconduct to get the case overturned. Now, we lost in all the California courts, the Court of Appeal and the California Supreme Court, and then I went to this firm, Kecker and Van S, and their lawyers asked them to, to help pro bono, which they did. And uh, we ended up getting the case reversed in federal district court. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, so again, you know, what was probably a huge loss, it was, and my client is still in prison, um, but now we have a chance. Mm. But you can't give up. Yeah. And you can't, you know, you can't de become defeatist. You can't look at it. It's easy to say, oh, you know what? I lost that case, so what? I have to go on to the next one. Yeah. That's a human being there. And so you have to make sure that you do everything possible. And unless you do that, yeah, it's, it, you're going to have a hard time with this job unless you don't care yeah. or, or, you know, you, you're going to lose your heart. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's very true. And mm -hmm. Jeff, I wanted to ask you because you seem to have a particular interest in filmmaking. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Where does that stem from? And, you know, um, you know, what, what have you worked on and what do you try to do through that particular yeah. work? I know that's, you know, outside of, of your, your work, well, but to some extent it's, you mm -hmm. know, some of the, the, the works that you've done, they're kind of related. They're kind of based on your actual yeah. work. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I've always been fascinated by film and I've always, you know, loved movies and TV mm -hmm. since I was a kid. And so about 10 years ago, I decided to make a film about the way that Asian Americans are presented in the media. So I made a film called Slanted Screen. And actually it's very similar to trial work because you're starting with a, a theme or a thesis and you mm -hmm. test it against your subjects who are mm -hmm. like witnesses mm -hmm. who um, you interview. And then you figure out the story that you want to tell and then you string the interviews together. And of course there's a visual element to making the film. Um, which is very important because you have to keep your audience entertained right. and interested. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a fascinating process and I love uh, when you uh, finish a film. Now my first film, The Slanted Screen, uh, made it on national PBS, uh, ended up being shown in about a dozen different countries. And uh, we even premiered it at the Motion Picture Academy, which is the home of the Oscars. Mm -hmm. and that was my goal, is to try and get people to think differently about Asian Americans. And it's, it's great. Now we're finally seeing, you know, films like Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully we'll see more. And then I made a second film about a Japanese-American actor named Jack Su. It was a more small personal film, and I got that on national PBS. Mm -hmm. And then I made a film about racism, uh, it's called The History of Racism in the United States in Eight Minutes, called mm. Racial Facial. And uh, I made it as a film that could be used as an educational tool to help young people understand what racism is. Because a lot of times you'd hear about these, you know, conflicts that would occur on campus. And, you know, a student would get kicked out for offending another student, and then you don't hear anything of it. So I wanted to make a film where it would be a you know, a spark for a discussion. And so, yeah, so we made that film. And then the last few films I made have been about public defense. I made a film called Defender. Um, 
and I just finished a film uh, called Ricochet about the uh, immigrant uh, who was charged with shooting Kate Steinling back in 2015 and then his trial was just last year in 2017 and Matt Gonzalez who's our chief attorney and his team tried the case so it's a film about that trial and this is the one that that uh, President Trump you know was used to 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 further his his uh, agenda you know the build the wall and uh, it was just I think a fascinating story Uh, so Hopefully, we, we entered it in the Sundance Festival, so we're hopefully that we'll oh, so watch great. it and like it. Yeah, and, and that movie is done. It's the film yeah. is completed. And well, we're, we're, yeah, we, we, we finished what's called the rough cut, okay. which is you know, really your first draft, and then we're working on refining it. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's a, a lot of uh, filmmaking work, actually. Yeah, but that's I actually great. enjoy that a lot. And for me, a lot of people say, that seems so stressful, but actually it's a stress reliever because I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, I was going to ask you because uh, mm-hmm. you know you, you seem to have been doing it for some time, and it seems mm-hmm. like an outlet for mm-hmm. you more than anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, if there is someone who is potentially interested in you know working at the public defender's office and mm-hmm. or doing their first trial, getting mm-hmm. into some of that work, yeah, you know what what advice? Looking back, you know, do you have for them? You know, what advice would you give yourself when before you started? started at all you know um, especially um, I don't know if you've seen any changes in terms of how trials work are they more contentious now or are they just as contentious as they always mm-hmm. been but if you can give a little bit of uh, of that advice to the you know incoming uh, yeah. attorneys I think it's great to get experience you know as a lawyer there and you know this I mean there's so many different things that you can do you can choose you can choose international law yeah. you know you can choose environmental law um, so, you know, finding that right niche, I think is important. And the way you get there is to get experience in that area. But if you do decide you want to become a public defender or criminal defense attorney, it's just getting experience, learning how to write the motions. Um, you know, and we have a great internship program here. We have over 200 law students and college students who intern here. Uh, like throughout the summer, we have a two and a half month program. And so they can get a lot of practical experience there. We also have a program called a volunteer attorney program mm-hmm. where attorneys can come and work here for three or four months and try uh, misdemeanor cases. And even the law firms will send their lawyers here and actually pay to be part of this program Wow! because it's such a benefit to get in court and try cases. I mean, many lawyers in the private sector will go to trial maybe, you know, once every five years. We go to trial every month. Yeah. So... It's, yeah, it's getting that experience and then finding a good mentor. I've, I had so many mentors over the year. One, one of the mentors who was with me from the very beginning, Garrick Louie, just passed away a couple of years ago. He was somebody who really took me by the hand and gave me opportunities to do everything from investigating cases to writing motions and really taught me through his example. I actually got to sit next to him in court. Mm. So, you know, those kinds of experiences are, are really priceless and they don't cost anything. You know, you can almost always find someone in the law who's willing to, to su- support yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I've definitely, I had a lot of mentors who I was able to sit next to in trial and learn from and see how they presented their case. And, you know, what, what was the, the particular uh, uh, persona that they took on when they were in there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how do you really advocate even with that, right? Right. And, um, I think uh, it's, it's 
a really good point in terms of find mentorship and the right mentorship you know that somebody that really cares about you they're going to show it and they care about your personal and professional growth and they'll teach you what what you need to learn so i think that's that's on point yeah well jeff uh thank you so much i yeah. really appreciate your time and absolutely uh, you know well, thank you for all you do yeah definitely yeah. and um i really i really hope that i know that our listeners will you know definitely benefit from a lot of the information you provide and especially those folks that are interested in mm -hmm. in applying to your office and um uh, I, I, you know, I wish you uh, continued success and, you know, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of work to be done, but it sounds like you've definitely made a shift in this office and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to learn about that because there's, there's a lot of things I didn't know about the yeah. San Francisco Public Defender's Office. Your work as well because, you know, you, you have to follow your heart Yeah, and then yeah. your mind will follow. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so great, Jeff. Thank you so much. And, uh, all right, everyone, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Attorney Heart. I really appreciate you listening in and tuning in on another episode. I look forward to uh, bringing you the next one. And uh, again, thank you so much. All right, Jeff, take care. Hi, everyone. Fernando here again to thank you for listening in to another Attorney Heart episode. If you like this episode, please make sure to give it a thumbs up. And if it can benefit anyone that you know, please share it. Attorney Heart is brought to you by iMatterNow. I am a... T-E-R-N-O-W. Please make sure to check our website at imatternow.com. Again, I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W.com. And join iMatterNow's Facebook page. Follow us for future events and additional resources. Every day presents an opportunity to engage in self-care. And remember that it is not selfish to take care of your well-being. It is necessary. So take care and connect with you on the next Attorney Heart episode.